Okay, you're going to start with a question this morning. So it's really on, in fact, there's two questions. Um, I don't think we'll, you can get on to the second one if you want, but really just the first one is one of us to think about, okay? So why is there no mention of Jesus' life in the Apostles' Creed? And what I mean by that, it goes, last week we were thinking of born of the Virgin Mary, and it goes straight on to suffered under Pontius Pilate. So we really go from um, uh, day zero to day, well, the last day, and there is nothing in the creed about anything in between. There is nothing about his miracles, nothing about his teaching, nothing about righteousness. So have a, dis- have a discussion about that. Uh, why do you think that might be the case? So I'll give you just uh, two or three minutes to think that through. Okay, let's uh, draw together. Let, let's draw it together. So um, I'll, take, I'll take answers to that question in a second. Um, just to recap, we are returning back to the Apostles' Creed. Um, really warm welcome if you're new. Uh, great to have you. We're just going through the Apostle Creed um, line by line as a summary of the Christian faith. Um, it's one of those summaries that uh, Christians everywhere have agreed upon. Um, they don't even need to have a council about it. It's just like it was assumed by everybody. And it's set out in three paragraphs mostly. So a paragraph about the Father, a paragraph about the Son... And the parable, uh, not parable, a paragraph about the Holy Spirit. And uh, very often we think of it as a summary of what Christians believe. But we could think of it sort of better as uh, a summary of in whom do we believe. It is a, it is a, it's a creed about God. About God as Father, uh, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit. Now so far uh, we've been uh, on the Son as well. We've two weeks on the Son so far. So... Um, uh, two weeks ago, we had Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So second person of the Trinity is truly God. And also conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So truly man. So that's what we're saying about um, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is truly God and he's truly man. So we've had his person, that is to say who he is. And now we're going to think about his work, um, what he has done. And they're not the same thing. They're distinct. Who he is and what he's done, they're they're, dis- they're distinct but inseparable. As if I said who he is and what he's done, would anyone want to finish that sentence for me? Who he is and what he's done? No, it's just me naturally. It comes to my head. Colin Buchanan, that uh, great theologian. No, there's actually, there actually is a really great theologian called Colin Buchanan, but there's also the popular kids uh, singer. Great if you haven't listened to him. I know some people find him a bit annoying after a while on a five-hour car journey. Um, not Anastasia, not me. Um, it, the song goes... Uh, Jesus is number one. Who he is and what he's done make Jesus number one. Okay, who he is and what he's done. So we've had who he is and now um, what he's done. So who he is, we, we, what we really mean about who Jesus is, that was sort of the last couple of weeks. He's, he's one person in, in two natures. He's divine and he's human, but he's, he's one person. Um, but today we're thinking about what he's done. We're looking at his work, what he came uh, uh, to earth to do. So just wondering, did anyone, any, anyone want to offer any, any um, answer uh, to, to the top question? Why is there no mention of Jesus' life in the Apostles' Creed? And anyone want to give a stab at that? An ideal question has some people signed, but one or two in the answer. Just got no one with the answer. Um, right, okay, yeah. Um, Marvin, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yep. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the first answer. It's punchy. You've had your Weedabix. Ready to go. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, maybe not good at writing creeds. Um, I guess there's a sense in which what is the purpose of the creed? The purpose of the creed is to keep it quite short. So your second thing is quite a short creed. I think that is basically the answer. It's short. Um, but still, it's sort of, again, you're saying, but it's, it's not great. Instinctively, we want to say more, don't we? It, you're, you're sort of highlighting the tension. Yeah, Fraser, do you want to have a, you're going to say something? Um, Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, certainly as you come into the sort of Nicene Creed again, which doesn't talk much about stuff, that really is sort of polemical. It's like um, there is an issue that we need to deal with. It slightly less so with the Apostles' Creed. It's sort of um, it's more of like a sort of starts off as like a sort of um, what people say at their baptisms. Um, but yeah, it is funny, isn't it? Like, why, why are we not saying more about um, Jesus' life? So when we talk about his life, there's nothing about his teaching, uh, nothing about his miracles, nothing about the fact that he is um, holy. Now, we want to be really clear. It's not to say that Jesus' life doesn't matter. Uh, if, if his life doesn't matter, then um, why couldn't Jesus have died for our sins um, as a child, why did he have to do it as an adult if his, if, if his life uh, didn't matter? Or even, he's, even, even sort of maybe more instinctively, you say, okay, dying as a child, that would just, it's a ghastly thought. But you say, well, still, he starts his ministry, doesn't he? He's, he's um, at his baptism, he's, he's, he's anointed by the Spirit. And yet he still has a substantial ministry after that. Why did he have to go through his substantial ministry um, first? And there are really important answers to those questions. He, he needed not only to die for us, um, he needed to live the life that we should have lived. Um, he needed to resist the, resist the world. He needed to resist the devil. Um, he needed to positively fulfill the law. There is a law. He needed to positively fulfill it. We get not just his sinlessness, but we get his righteousness as well. We get the fact that not only he didn't do the sin that we've done, he also um, obeyed God wholly in a way that we have never done. And when we get um, made righteous, it's not like we have a blank slate. It's not all the dirt is rubbed away, but we're positively made clean or we're credited with all the good that Jesus has done. So it, so it does matter from that point of view, a salvation point of view. It also matters from a revelation point of view as well. So do you remember Philip uh, says to Jesus, show us the Father. And he says, he replies, says, anyone who's uh, uh, seen the Father has seen me. Uh, so anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So it matters from a revelation, but just to see Jesus, to know Jesus. But also, again, his teaching is really important. He teaches about the kingdom of heaven, teach about the work of the Spirit. He teaches about his relationship with the Father, teach about final judgment. He teaches uh, to correct self-righteousness. So... When we say the creed doesn't talk about his life, we're not saying that the life, his life isn't important. But in a sense in which, it's to go to a bit of what Fraser said, a bit of what uh, Marvin said as well. And it's specific, it has a specific purpose, the creed. It is to be short. And it is a thing. It's just basically, look, I'm a, it's, if you believe this, you're a Christian. It's a summary of the Christian faith. So a unifying document. Um, what all Christians have agreed everywhere. It's like what you can't agree on. Again, it's the A issue. So last week we had a sermon on Jephthah, didn't we? And John she was saying that there are good people who actually disagree on how to interpret um, uh, this uh, Judges chapter 11. 
if you, if you each have a wacky um, interpretation of Judge 11, it doesn't affect whether or not you're a Christian or not. Um, or when will Jesus return? Lots of Christians disagree on this. What things need to happen before Jesus returns? Could he come to return tomorrow? Are certain thing, do certain things need to happen? Or can we work out the exact date? Now, there are right and wrong answers to those questions, but they don't make you a Christian uh, or not. Or again, what should a church service look like? Again, different opinions on that. What the creed's getting at is it's focusing on the most important things. Again, we see that um, mirrored in the New Testament, don't we? So think about the Gospels, you know, of the Synoptic Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark and Luke. About a third of them uh, focus on Jesus' uh, last few days and his death. So really, really important to the Gospel writers um, that they disproportionately spend a large amount of time on his death. Uh, John's gospel is pretty much half, half the gospel is on his last, few, uh, last day or last 24 hours. Um, Romans, you know, you've got the first half, really an exposition of his death. I think about the Apostle Paul later on in 1 Corinthians. What does he say? He says, um, For I, did, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. As if say, I mean, course he knew more than that but that's a summary of what he knew a summary of what he knew was his crucifixion it gets the heart of who christ is at the end of the letter he says this for i delivered as to you sorry uh, for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures we'll think about his uh, resurrection uh, next week but it's of first importance so he's saying all truth matters, all of God's truth matters, all of it has equal authority. It, it, you can't say one part of the Bible has more authority than another part of the Bible, but it's not to say it is all of equal importance. The Apostle Paul says some things are of first importance by implication, other things are of secondary importance or less important, still very important. And again, it's the perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ himself as well. He, do you remember John's Gospel a few times, well, uh, I guess the first time we come across it when he, um, he, he, he turns water into wine. He does that at the prompting of his mother. Uh, and he says, my time has not yet come. He's saying, look, this isn't, this isn't uh, what I've really come to do. Um, it's not the most important thing. And we have that a few times John's Gospel. His time had not yet come. But then his time has come. His time has come and he says, so again, halfway through the gospel, and this is when it leads on to his death, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat uh, falls into, sorry, I'll start again, the hour has come, this is it, so this is the most important time he's saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, as in, I get my glory from the cross. How do we know that? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So he was saying that my hour, my time of glory is the cross. So in the creed, we're not seeing everything, but we are seeing the most important things, um, as it were. So let's go on to actually um, uh, each bit. We'll just uh, sort of four phrase in here. He suffered on the Pontius Pilate, crucified, died and was buried. Um, oh, actually, sorry, uh, uh, yeah, OK. Let's, go, let's start with suffered under Pontius Pilate. Again, another discussion question. Okay, so only three human beings get a mention in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus, Mary and Pilate. Just as I say that, do you, do you slightly sort of make you feel uncomfortable when we describe Jesus as a human being? Is he a human? It's what we've learned, isn't it? He is a human being. So three human beings. 
um, get mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus, Mary and Pilate. Why does Pilate get to join such exalted company? Have a discussion about that. Why do you think Pilate gets a mention? So, um, just before I take some answer to that question, just think about um, when we're talking about his suffering, um, we're talking about his, very specifically again, we're talking about his, I mean, we could say what well, is suffering, isn't that talking about his life in general? See, yep. What it is? Okay, yeah. So we're we're doing a whole series in it. Sorry, so the whole series in it, it is um, it's it's a it's a creed that is um, that Christians all places everywhere have always believed. I mean, I guess that's the best way best way of explaining it. It sort of involved to some degree. The origins of it aren't as clear as something like sometimes say the Nicene Creed was really clearly. Um, there, there was a council and it was approved but it came out and it, it started as like a sort of a, a thing that Christians just say at their baptism really they were uh, or something very similar to it anyway they were saying their baptism in other words what do you believe and this is the basic so it's, it's a summary of the Christian faith and the reason why we're looking at it is we just want to be as a church we want to focus we're saying what, what are the really important things about the Christian faith and what are the truths that unite us with all other Christians so there are all sorts of different flavours of Christians. In fact, recently we've been doing a course called Dynamics and Distinctives. And that under distinctives, saying that not all Christians believe exactly the, exactly the same on everything. And we've been looking, how are we distinct as a, as a Reformed church, a Presbyterian church? The Apostles' Creed is saying, yeah, but we might differ on a few uh, less significant things. But on the most important things, all Christians agree on the same thing. So it's the basics of the Christian faith. If that, does, that, does that help? Okay, good, good. Um, so yeah, when we're talking about Jesus' sufferings, we're particularly thinking about his cross sufferings, not his sufferings in life. Now, he did suffer in a, in a sense, in a similar way to many of us have suffered. So he, he was birthed into a broken world. You know, the curse of Genesis 3, thorns and thistles. Um, he would have worked as a carpenter by the sweat of his brow. It would have been hard work. Uh, he was born into a poor family. You know, it wouldn't have been a comfortable birth. Uh, it, uh, where he was born. He wasn't in a home. He was persecuted as a child. Do you remember he had to flee to Egypt? Um, in, even in his ministry, he says, for the son of, even the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. In other words, he did go through the hardships of life. But that's, that's not the m- main thing we're talking about here. We're talking about he suffered under Pontius Pilate. His, his Pontius Pilate sufferings, as we'll see, his, his cross sufferings, his death suffering. So not just generic suffering, but it's cross-suffering. So there's, just going back to the question then, um, why do you think Pilate gets a mention? I, I always cringe for Pilate a bit, thinking this is how he is remembered. But why do you think, why don't we just say, why doesn't the crew just say he suffered, was crucified, died and was buried? Does anyone want to give an answer to that or suggest an answer? Yeah, Hugh. Historic Okay, yeah. 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 So, and what do you think, sort of knowing that it, um, it, had a, it has a hit, the claim is that it has a history, what difference do you think that makes? So, what, what implications does that have? I guess it could be anything if someone just tells you something and there's no other evidence to surround it, um, it's part of the belief that you have something that you can then go back to and reference and see how there was this kind of Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Any, anyone to add to that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that, 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 is, that is pretty much, I think, what's going on. It's saying, so in one sense, look, it happened in, it happened in history. There's sort of evidence you can check it out. But another thing is saying, no, but it, it actually did happen in history. So even if you, you can't check out the evidence, it sort of establishes what we're talking about. We're talking about a human death on earth, uh, a real tangible death. We're not talking about some sort of, uh, you know, God in, in, in sort of uh, abstract, there was some sort of metaphorical death. So no, no, it happened under Pontius Pilate, uh, really uh, tangibly, a, pro- a proper death. So if you don't know who Pontius Pilate is, he's, um, he, he, was the, he was the governor, the Roman governor of Judea at the time. And, and as you said, you can check him out. You know, all, there, there are loads of evidence that he, I mean, the biggest evidence of him actually is Christianity. But there's extra evidence outside of Christianity. He's, he was the governor between 26 AD and 36 AD. And it's to sort of to remind us that say, people can say, well, have you seen the resurrection? Uh, have you seen the, Jesus' death on the cross? And, and the obvious answer is no, we haven't. Uh, we believe on the basis of witness, on the basis of testimony. We believe on the uh, basis of the Spirit uh, testifying to us internally. But, but what we really want to say is, look, I haven't. But what we're talking about is um, people did see it. There were witnesses. That is the sort of thing we're talking about. That sort of death we're talking about. Um, and uh, the good news of the gospel is established by a historic event. And it, just, it can distinguish Christianity from... Almost all other religions. So almost all other religions are sort of saying, I've got a, relation, I've got a revelation from God. Believe me. I, a revelation, and, and you have to sort of weigh, does it, is, it, is it an attractive worldview? Now, of course, uh, Christians are saying that, but they're saying more than that. Not just we have a revelation from God, um, but look at the actual evidence of what happened. So uh, Muhammad comes out of a cave and says, look, believe, believe me. But there's no tangible evidence, there's no backup, whereas Christianity is saying, look, here is, this is what the kingdom of God is like, this is who God is, this is who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and he's coming to the earth. Now, in one sense, I'm slightly sort of borrowing from next week, the resurrection must be establishes uh, that as well. But the point is, it happens in history. Um, and it established the very earthy nature of Christianity as well. Jesus really did die. It wasn't, again, a sort of mystical nails in a, in a mis- mystical sort of wrist. It was actually proper nails um, hidden by Roman soldiers uh, onto, a, onto a cross. So let's get into that now. Uh, crucified. He, he, he suffered on the Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. So now we're sort of establishing the sort of death that Jesus died. And it's very hard for us to get our mindset into the original mindset of the cross. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I bought Harriet for Christmas and a golden cross for her um, for Christmas. Uh, and it's, you know, it looks pretty. Now, obviously, it, it's more than that, etc. But that's what we think of a cross these days normally if it's in sort of metal. We think jewellery, don't we? What's the point of jewellery? It's, it's, it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? It's something that you draw your eyes to. But that is totally the opposite of what a cross would have been uh, in, in, the, in the Roman Empire. So the original associations of the cross at the time, it's invented by Romans for total humiliation. It's invented by Romans to be a deterrent of rebelling against the empire, uh, or a deterrent from law, law breaking. And uh, people would have hung on the cross outside of cities. And as you go into the city, it's as if to say, um, don't rebel or the same will happen to you as well. And it really was meant to be totally um, 
taking away someone's dignifying. So the Romans very happened to behead, uh, behead one of their own citizens if, if they committed a crime. But they wouldn't crucify them because crucifixion was far worse than even um, beheading. A total um, symbol of uh, shame. So someone would um, be crucified up on the cross. Uh, they would be naked. Everyone could see them. Um, they'd be shamed. Uh, they'd lose their bodily functions and it would be a slow death. So total, total shame. You see on the picture here, um, this is the first pictorial representation, or maybe the second pictorial representation of the cross, and it's called the Alexamnos Graffitos. Um, and, and the actual graffiti, right, so it's, it's carved into a stone, and someone's done a sort of, um, uh, what, what's it called when you rub paper on it? Arthur's been doing it all the time recently. You know, you get a piece of paper and you colour it on a stone and then you get the image. Anyway, th- th- this is what was carved into a rock. I have to ask Arthur later. Um, this is what's carved into a rock. And you've got a, a chap there and he's worshipping. On a cross is a man with a donkey's head. That's what's going on there. And the graffiti under it uh, says something along uh, these lines. Alexamnos worships his gods. In other words, he's saying who he worships is a donkey. He's a fool. Um, in other words, the th- uh, worship, dying on the cross is the most undignified thing that can happen. And it's worth keeping that uh, in our minds. But it's not the most important thing, but it's worth keeping it uh, in our mind. You see, the thing Jesus is mocked for is actually the thing he is worshipped for. And also think about why. Um, so we think, think about the Roman background to the cross. Let's think about the Jewish background to the cross. So again, just open these two passages in your Bibles, in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 21. 22 to 23, Isaiah 53. Just three simple questions. To some of you, this would just be absolute ABCs. Others of us, this will be new. So I want to see it for ourselves. So um, uh, look at those two passages. Just read amongst your tables. I'll give you so three minutes for this. Just establish what's going on the cross. So what is God doing at the cross? What is Jesus doing at the cross? And what are we doing at the cross? Let's take a few minutes to do that. Okay, let's, uh, let's draw together. I, I, I might just sort of take the columns here. Do you, do you, any, anyone at this table or, or the back table, do you want to uh, have a go at the first question? What is God doing on the cross? I mean, he's not a bad word question. He is not... Well, no, I'm not even going to try and caveat again. More trouble. What is God doing on the cross? Pardon? Yeah, crushing his son. Um, do you want to say what do you mean by crushing? Yeah, okay, yeah. It's not a physical squashing, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And you basically just answered all the questions, yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so God is cursing. What's going on? There's a cursing, there's a crushing, there's a punishing. What is going on there? I, I think when we first look at the cross, when you first come across it, um, you see Jesus die on the cross in one of the Gospels and the sky goes black and you think, oh, I know what's going on here. Uh, God is angry with everyone for crucifying his son. And then you, you look at it a bit closely, you think, yeah, God is angry, but he is angry 
uh, with his son. His, his son is experiencing uh, his wrath. Okay, um, we sort of answered the second question as well. Uh, what is Jesus doing on the cross? Well, it's the flip side of that, isn't it? He's passively, he is suffering. He's being punished. He's being cursed. Um, anything to add in the middle table on the second question? What is Jesus doing at the cross? Ivania? Yeah, which which is the verse that showed us that, Ivan? Yeah, thank you. So, um, so it's our transgressions, isn't it? Our iniquities. Yeah, that's that's the purposes. And then the final thing: what are we doing at the cross? Well, I'm going to move on for sake of time. But in one sense, we're doing nothing. But everything is happening to us. In the sense that, uh, at the end, um, we are brought peace, we are healed. Now, the, I mean, in one sense, the whole Bible unpacks the cross. But these are some really good verses to go, uh, go to. And really what we say about the cross, almost the most important thing we can say about the cross, is I think it's often known as, I should have put this on a sheet, I don't know why I didn't put this on a sheet, but penal substitutionary atonement. So PSA, uh, penal means uh, uh, punishment, there was punishment going, going on. Um, so Jesus is being punished. Substitution. Well, he's not being punished for his own sin. He's being punished for our sin. Uh, and then atonement to bring us uh, to God. Um, and so we see on the cross, we see physical pain. Uh, there's definite physical pain going on. Physical total agony. And yet that's not the main thing. It is God's curse on Jesus that he's experiencing. As he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would take, you know, a whole sermon just to unpack that sentence. Um, so two things to notice as we look at the cross. One is what do our sins deserve? He was crushed for our iniquity. In other words, if we're to pay for our sin, we deserve uh, what Jesus has gone through. But we also see it's God's solution uh, for our sin. And really important to realise that this is not a mistake. It's not an accident. Again, I should have put this verse on. Sorry, I haven't. Uh, Acts chapter 2, when Peter was preaching the cross... Um, early on uh, as, as the spirit um, has been poured out he says Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God in other words this has always been God's plan okay I want to go on to died and buried so let's um, look at these two and then we've got a maybe discussion question at the end we can think about so died and buried why do we need to emphasize his death again a lot of these words seem sort of there aren't many words in it but even then some of them seem superfluous we really are trying to um, get it down to the basics. So why emphasise the fact that he died? Well, um, it is important. I've, I've just written down um, three reasons here. I guess you come up with more. But one is important apologetically. In other words, when we're sharing our faith, um, it's important to establish that this is what Christians really believe. So um, uh, Muslims, for instance, don't believe he, Jesus was crucified. And the reason they don't believe he was crucified is they don't believe he died. They think he just went uh, straight up into heaven. Um, this is what it says in the Quran, but they neither killed nor crucified him. It was only uh, it was only made to appear so. The Apostles' Creed is saying, "Hold on a second, no, no, no." Christians have always agreed that Jesus was crucified and that he actually died. Again, Islam often talks reverently about Christians as people of the book, and it's important for us to say, "Look, okay, look at what people of the book have always believed—that he was crucified and he died." Uh, secondly, it's important theologically. Um, 
uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The wage of sin is um, uh, Jesus died on the cross. He was experienced more than death. You know, he wasn't just sort of um, put to death by uh, uh, peaceful injection or something like that. He suffered um, uh, a wrath-bearing death. Um, again, we remember, might remember the Matthew series. We talked about um, him praying, take this cup away from me, because he knew how awful, not being dead, but the process of dying would have been on the cross. Um, but he did then have to go on and die. And the wage of sin is death. So if Jesus is going to pay for our sin, then he has to go all the way and die and actually die. And this links on to sort of pastorally why it's important as well. Um, Jesus has died, therefore it gives us reassurance that our death has been paid in full. We look at the cross and say, I don't need to do anything. My, my, my sin has been paid for in full. But also it's pastorally significant because when we face death, we, are, we know we're going through something that our Lord and our Saviour has gone through as well. Let's say Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I, in one sense, that means just being close to death. Death's at our door. But in its fullness, that means going through death. And um, that is a wonderful comfort, isn't it? Um, when, we're, uh, when death is inevitable for us, when we get the um, diagnosis from the doctor saying, maybe you've got six months and then death. Jesus has been there. It's a wonderful comfort when people, when believers we know uh, have died. Jesus has been through it for them. They're not on their own. Uh, friends of mine lost a, lost a child a year ago and it's coming up to the anniversary. And thinking, what a comfort that they know that Jesus has been through what their daughter uh, went through. Um, so it's wonderfully pastorally uh, comforting. Uh, and then uh, buried. They go on to buried. Now, under buried, it's not the normal result of the cross. So um, I read out a uh, quote here I found quite helpful um it said in the normal course of events those who were crucified were left to rot on the crosses or thrown into a common grave again it's part of the rot on the crosses a part of the deterrent uh, into a common grave uh, again taking away someone's dignity and then it goes on the refusal of a proper burial was a feature not a bug of the crucifixion process in other words to say normally uh, people who were crucified uh, wouldn't have been buried. So, emphasising his burial. Um, but it's there to say, look, bodily death, again, for uh, us, bodily death requires bodily burial. What happens to humans uh, happened to Jesus. It's in one sense the, the other side of the coin of, of death, death and, and buried. And again, we're reminded in the scriptures wonderfully. I'm not sure if I put this verse, I think I did. You turn over the page. Uh, look at what um, Matthew writes of Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb. Uh, as if to say, uh, Jesus goes to our tombs. He goes where we uh, should have gone. Again, another, another quote found quite helpful by a guy called Karl Barth, who in many ways is quite controversial. This is very, very helpful. He says, it stands, uh, it stands there, it's talking about he was buried. It's, I said, well, what's the value of his, his burial? It stands there so unobtrusively and simply uh, superfluously. But it's not there for nothing. Someday we shall be buried. Someday a company of men will process out to a churchyard and lower a coffin 
And everyone will go home, but one will not come back. And that will be me. As if to say, in the same way that Jesus died, in the same way that we'll die, Jesus died. In the same way that one day we'll be buried, uh, Jesus was buried. And that just sets us up for the resurrection uh, later on. Um, I put a question at the end. So this idea of penal substitutionary atonement only went over it very, very quickly. It's very often denied today. Very often denied that's um, uh, what Christians believe. That is, that is the truth. Um, I wonder if... Can anyone think of any reason why penal substitutionary atonement is denied? Final question. Maybe, maybe chat amongst yourselves and then we'll draw back together, ask any final questions, then I'll pray and close. Okay, let's draw together. Let's draw together. Any, any final questions, anything raised, or anyone want to give a comment on why do you think that this doctrine of penal substitution atonement might be denied? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, certainly Elisha was raised up to heaven, wasn't he? But the rest of the prophets um, are generally seem like when, when the end of life is, is recorded, it's that they were they were alive. So Jeremiah, commonly considered to be sort of sawn in two, for instance. Um, many of the prophets are, are killed by kings, for instance. Oh, sorry. The, can, I, can I repeat the answer? Sorry. The, the, the suggestion was that um, in the in the Old Testament. The pro- prophets don't die. And Jesus is a prophet, therefore he didn't die. But I'm just saying that's certainly true of Elijah. You know, Eli- Eli- sorry, Elijah. Elijah goes up to heaven and doesn't die. Um, but, but, but by and large, I don't think it's said of any other prophet that they didn't die. And there is loads and loads of examples of prophets being killed. Oh, okay, sure. So there are examples, yeah. Yeah, so Elijah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be like Elijah. Yeah, good answer. Yeah, okay, yeah. Any other suggestions? Yeah, Ivan? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure, bloodthirsty, yeah. And bizarrely, God is bloodthirsty in that the wage of sin is death. He does require death. But when we hear the word bloodthirsty... It's an emotive term, but actually it's really important to hold on to, actually, the wage of sin is death. So often, uh, I, think, I think actually more often than not, the word blood is referred to rather than the cross, often the blood of Jesus. Which shed, uh, the word blood is shed more than actually the, 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 the word cross. Um, but people don't like this idea, do they, of punishment? We don't like this idea of punishment, I guess, because if we really believe punishment of sin, it's very humbling, isn't it? Uh, firstly, it says that um, our sin is really serious. It deserves punishment. And secondly, it says, if it's death that I require, it means I'm really, I'm not good enough without Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah. It's, it's, time, to, it's time to wrap up. Any other questions, just come and grab me afterwards. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, it seems almost so trivial just to uh, skate through the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, Father, we pray that we would uh, be reminded of the the importance, the centrality of the cross. And uh, we pray we would love the Lord Jesus Christ all the more for dying for us 
and taking our sin away. And we pray we delight in the truth that Jesus has died. He's paid in full for our sin. And because he has died, he can get us through death as well. We thank you for this. We pray you'd inform our minds more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.